Welcome to the final Euro 2016 preview show from the Inverted Wingers. We're days away now from the tournament kickoff, so that can only mean one thing. It's impeccable timing for anyone who works in air traffic control, on the railways or in the French oil refinery industry to go off on strike, leaving travel misery and empty petrol stations for the fans of all 24 nations for the entire duration of the tournament, ensuring we really are all in this together. Mm. But enough politics, let's get down to football. Joining me to dissect England and Wales's group B and a somewhat underwhelming group F is a man who's travelled all the way up to London today from the countryside. It's Zisha. <laughs> Hello, listeners. <laughs> and tearing himself away from the latest book of love sonnets from January G. Buffon, it's Tom. Hello. So let's uh, start with England's group, group B, containing Russia, Slovakia. And a first appearance at a major tournament for Wales since Bill Clinton became president of the USA. So, who's going through from this group? Where should we start? Let's start with Wales. So, to discuss Wales, you've got to discuss one-man teams. Chris Coleman. <laughs> well, he Wayne can... Hennessy. I was going to actually go with... Uh, so, let's compare. So, last week, you guys said that you thought the biggest one-man team in the tournament was Sweden with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah. Strong case. Portugal, Ronaldo, and then you got Wales and Joe Allen, quite clearly. <laughs> Del Boss famously described Xavi as the Spanish Joe Allen. Oh, yeah, of course. I, I may have changed the, uh, the facts there slightly. <laughs> but um, So let's look at their previous. So Wales' only appearance ever at the World Cup, 1958. This was quite a famous Welsh team. It was kind of their golden generation. Oh, yeah. John Charles. John Charles was the most famous member of that team. But Dean Saunders, I think he's probably around. Yeah, Ian Rush, yeah. yeah, age six, Dean Saunders featured. Mark Hughes, Neville Southall, young, young Neville Southall. So what people will talk about is they reached the quarterfinals, they, they did well. They reached well. the quarterfinals in 1958? They reached the quarterfinals, they lost to Brazil, okay. 1-0, and that was actually Pelé's first ever goal for Brazil as a 17-year-old. Oh, really? And that's obviously the, that was his first um, winning World Cup, wasn't exactly. it? Exactly. But what people don't know is they actually got in via the back door. So the, the qualification for tournaments back in the day was always a, was a bit different to the efficient formats that we have now. Wales were in the European qualification process and they finished second in their group to Czech Republic, which actually meant that they didn't qualify. Only the top place teams qualified. So how did they get in, you might ask? Well, Israel were about to qualify from the Africa-Asian side without actually playing a single game. <laughs> That Egypt, Sudan, and Indonesia, who were their potential opponents, had all refused to play them for political reasons. Nice. And FIFA basically thought, well, we can't really let them in without playing a single game. <laughs> it's a good way to spite your opponent, though. We won't play you so you can qualify automatically. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, we showed them. Right. But uh, so FIFA had other ideas. So they were like, look, no, Israel have to play a playoff, and we're going to pick second place teams from the European qualification as their opponent. So who came out of the hat? Weird. No. Belgium. <laughs> what? Belgium, but Belgium refused to play them. So next out of the hat was Wales. So hang on, they got in by virtue of being the least racist second place team in Europe. Well, exactly. And then they beat Israel in a playoff, and that's how they got to the World Cup. Okay. So this time round, they uh, they finished ahead of Bosnia and second to Belgium, and they they won six, drew three, and lost one. When we're talking about Wales, we we have to talk about Gary Speed here because Gary Speed, when he was manager of Wales. They actually dropped as low as 117th in the FIFA rankings. And he, with, with a little help from, from one Gareth Bale, took them all the way to 8th in the FIFA rankings. 8th? 8th was their highest spot, ahead of England, who were 10th at the time. I feel this could be another podcast where we just bash the ridiculous FIFA rankings. Wales have no tournament history whatsoever, so they cannot have got points from last European Championships, World Cups. They also only finished third in their group... And I've looked at their friendly record, and they don't win every friendly. So, like, where are they getting all these points well, from? To I, be I didn't say they're eighth now. So that was their highest spot okay. under Gary Speed. And where are they still now? They haven't qualified for any tournaments. C- correct. So there are 32 teams at the World Cup. I, I feel like I'm going to struggle to make a case here. But, but so getting back to so Gary Speed, so what I was kind of getting towards here was the fact that a lot of the squad know him and played under him. I think his dad is actually being taken along as sort of part of the setup, and I think there will be an extra motivation within the squad to kind of like, let's do this for Gary. So let's talk a little bit about their team here. So what, what Wales have going for them, obviously they don't have a huge pool of talent with a big squad that, that's deep, and if they get five injuries, then, then they're going to struggle. Yeah. But 
they do have a few key starters, a really good spine, and I think that's what a lot of the other smaller nations don't have. Bale, obviously, we know all about Bale, but they also have Aaron Ramsey, Ashley Williams, top quality Premier League players. Joe Allen, you forgot to mention. Him. Well, I mentioned him earlier. I mean, Joe Allen speaks for himself, really, or, or Brendan Rogers speaks Brendan for him. Boston. Yes, Joe Boston. Allen's had a decent end to the season. He's kind of forced his way a little bit into the. Well, he's trying to get that that move to Celtic, right? To follow his. Uh... <laughs> he forced his way in after Henderson and Emery Chan got injured, but then took his chance quite well. Did he injure them? Then he did force his way in <laughs> in training, took them out. I'm going to slightly go against your notion that that's a super strong spine like those are like Ashley Williams competent premiership player he's not like he's not a champion have you seen him play for Wales he, he raises his game for Wales as captain of Wales he plays he's been brilliant yeah. as a man from Wolverhampton like, I don't think I'm to put on the I don't think I'm exaggerating to say he's been brilliant he, and he's the kind of defender I don't want to use the I hate the phrase but he's a defender's defender right he's, he, when he's playing for a team where he's one of the key players he's going to throw himself in front of every ball he's going to organise he's going to shout he's, he's, he's Wales' exact, is captain leader legend Don Terry exactly he's the, he's the kind of player that Wales need at the back and I think he's underrated I think he could have got that mood to Arsenal and he could have proved himself as a, as a top tier centre back he's gone off the board a bit I think this season but he has been one of the top defenders in the Premier League well he committed that years. shocker in the match Jamie against Vardy, Leicester he yeah. let in Riyad Mahrez for the opening goal against Leicester that possibly was the turning point when people started thinking that they really were going to win the title I mean, there's other there's other players we can mention. Ben Davies as Premier League winner, Andy King. There's there's Joe Ledley who's probably going to be struggling to be fit for the first game, but he's so, so where are they weak? For me, the main weakness is in the striker position. So, mm. Hal Robson Carno, not a name that you think is going to sort of score five goals in this tournament. Bale inevitably has to kind of like take the take on the twenty five yard shot as opposed to kind of feed the through ball to Carno, who's probably less likely to score from ten yards. Yeah, in qualifying. Wales scored 11 goals, Bale scored 7 of them, and set up 2 of them. So yeah. he was involved in 9 out of 11 of their goals. Yeah, yeah. So that's where they're weak. I mean, so where so will Bale basically... fit into their system then? Well, I think they're going to probably go with, well, either 3-4-2-1 or... Which is uh, an interesting formation. Like They will be the only team, I think, in this whole tournament who are playing 3 at the back and wing-backs. And probably, I mean, in, in the games against England and probably Russia, they'll probably be more like a five at the back, right? They, they're going to have the extra bodies in there. It's no secret that Bell's their best player, and teams like Russia might double up, sort of put two, three men on him and, and take out their main threat. But he's quite good at dealing with those situations. He's yeah. quite happy to kind of, like, run the channels and, and try and beat his man and, and chase down balls. His, his, his fitness and stamina is incredible. Who's that, at the back with Ashley Williams then? In the th- back three, who's going to be playing alongside him? That could be a weakness. Ben Davies. So he'll be playing. At he'll be in the. He'll be in the. Th- he'll be in the three. Ben uh, Davies, who sort of oscillates between looking like a really solid defender and a bit of a calamity waiting to happen. He's never really dislodged Danny Rose at Spurs. He's a decent player, but he suffers from not playing every week in week out. I think. I take a different view here. I, I always think that I'd rather have players going to tournaments that haven't played fifty games in the season. Over, over a player I don't mind a player that's only played 10 because they're going to be fresh I know that they might be sort of lacking a little bit of that sharpness but I think tiredness is a, big, is a bigger problem for teams he'll make some mistakes but he'll have the energy to, to recover right exactly, <laughs> exactly. Back like another Spurs fullback so, so look I, I, I personally think Wales are going to have a good tournament I think they have more talent than Russia, who would probably be their main rivals for second place in the group. If oh, we don't rule out Slovakia, I've got some insights for you. If, if we assume, if, if it goes to form and we assume that England do what they should, then it will be between Wales and Russia for second. And, and my money is on Wales. Uh, and then they have quite a nice sort of route through to the quarterfinals because in the in the second round they're probably going to play the second place team from Portugal's group mm. which is Hungary, Austria or Iceland if that's Portugal a, on the paper group. that's one of the weakest groups isn't it and then yeah. they'll face Brazil in the quarterfinals that's a, that's a winning game and then yes and then and then unfortunately John Charles Hattrick unfortunately Pele is awaited in the quarterfinals on my wall chart I've actually got Israel in the quarterfinals okay. but Wales are t- talking about refusing to play them no no they're the one team that will play them <laughs> alright have you got a wag for Wales well I do it's let me let me set this up a little bit because Chris Coleman has banned wags from the group stages. He says it's it's ten days. There's not enough time for for servicing servicing the wags. Right. Um, so we need no distractions. And then there's a seven day gap before the second round or something like that. So he said that's the time when the families will come and people can spend time with the families. So he doesn't want distraction for the team. But I think it's for himself. I think he doesn't want himself to be distracted because, as you may or may not know. 
his wag is Sky Sports presenter Charlotte Jackson. Oh, he's done well. Sky Sports, he has done well. I thought you were about to say Charlotte Church for a second. Charlotte Church. He may well have had an affair with Charlotte Church if you hear about his backstory, because he was a serial cheater. Could we possibly use the love rat phrase? I, I think if you read some of the articles I read, then that would be very appropriate. So he was married to a lady called Belinda, which you can already tell she's not going to be a very attractive lady. Well, hang on. Belinda, Belinda Carlisle, she was Belinda? a little naughty. Exception that proves the rule. Um, what? She, <laughs> was, she, she was acutely aware of her, of her husband's cheating. She actually installed a tracker in his car to monitor his whereabouts. She called up his phone, his mate answered, she pretended that she was called... Maria, a made-up name, yet the friend was like, yeah, I know all about you. <laughs> so that, that shows how many women he had on the go at the time, that any name she plucked right. was, uh, was one of those. She said, to his credit, he told his kids about his affairs, and he explained to them that his justification was that he got married too early. And that was that. Apparently, the kids were like happy with that explanation. At least didn't blame the kids. At least he took some responsibility. It's all your fault, child. He's uh, he's traded up, but not not in not covered himself in glory with the style that he he went about doing it. So is actually his ban on wags. Is it just so he can get away from her for a bit and he can experience the local delicacies? Possibly, or he just thinks that he might be too distracted having the beautiful Charlotte Jackson around. Yeah, or good. he might be distracted by his players' wags. Yes. Which would not be good. Yeah, maybe he's self-censuring so that he doesn't do a John Terry all over the entire Wales squad. (laughs) Moving on from Wales, so you mentioned their rivals for second place could possibly be Russia. So, Tom, what do you make of Russia this year? The mighty Russia. They've, They've only ever once, as Russia, got through a group stage in a tournament, which was 2008, when they went all the way to third place in the, in the Euros. Oh, yeah, that was the good Jagoyev pavlyuchenko side, wasn't it? It was a golden era. And they're obviously hosting the next World Cup in 2018, so it's this is a pretty big tournament for them to see see where they're at. Yeah, fairly and squarely won that, yeah. <laughs> Very fairly and squarely. And they've gone from having a spell of foreign managers, Dick Advocat and Fabio Capello, kind of big-name foreign managers... They've now ended up with a homegrown manager, a guy called Leonard Slutsky. Leonard? <laughs> Leonard Slutsky. <laughs> Slutsky. I'm hoping you have a wag story involving Leonard Slutsky. I haven't got a wag story, but I've got a story He sounds like the kind of manager that Chris Coleman would be interested in. <laughs> and um, he used to be a goalkeeper, a promising start screen, played 20 professional matches, and then he was back in his home village, um, and his neighbour's cat got stuck in a tree. So he did the honourable thing and climbed up into the tree to get the cat out, but he fell out as he was helping the cat down. He fell out of the tree and injured his knee. Um, so Leonard Slutsky... Is that what? That was the end of his career? He retired age wow. 19. You are kidding me. After falling out of the tree. That is so much better than Dave Besant dropping a bottle of salad cream on his foot. Do, so do, do, said, people, do cats still get stuck up trees? You don't hear these stories anymore. Have cats yeah, become a... more intelligent, evolved as a species? No, no, they do still do it. Um, How do people get them down there? Do they still climb up? Or well, what you have to do is you, you have to find an ex-international Russian keeper right. who has to get up a ladder and injure himself getting So he now, he, now, he now sort of... He's a professional. Hire, he hires himself out as yeah, a... Yeah, he's a cat a... rescuer for hire. Fair enough. So he said, I was a hero in my village, but... I never played again, so that was a trade-off he made. And was he a hero because of his football exploits or his cat exploits? Because of the cat exploits. Was, was the cat grateful? I've not heard back from the cat. but um, The cat was like, I have eight other lives that you could have left me alone. I'd have jumped, I'd be fine. I was quite happy up there, mate. <laughs> so, um, Slutsky is manager of CSKA Moscow as well, so the biggest team in, in Russia. And he said, it's not as difficult as it might seem. The goal in both situations is the same, to win. So he, oh, I thought you meant the physical goal was yeah, the same. Yeah, same size, same shape. <laughs> and that's true as well. The same rules, same goal, same pitch. Um, he's really kind of reduced that whole issue down to quite a simplistic <laughs> reading of it, hasn't he? He's like, he's not really considering many of the reasons why somebody might think and it's It's also with his business. To... He also says all cats and all trees are basically the same. He might have slightly banged his head as he fell out of the tree as well. I think he's overestimating his ability on all fronts. He thinks he can get cats out of trees. He thinks he can manage every team in the world. So um, he took over from Capello in August and they were struggling to qualify. It looked like they might not even get through. They won, they won all of their games under his stewardship. So he has, he has turned the team around. It's looking good, really. CSK won their league. He's won the league three years out of the last four. Um, unfortunately, his best player for CSK injured himself, Zagoyev, 
Those not a like cat tree story, is it? <laughs> not a cat tree, but it is, is a metatarsal. It's a metatarsal injury. Uh, they were flying back. They won the league title on the last game of the season, and they were flying back. And Zagorov was dancing in the aisle, and he um, fell over and broke his metatarsal. So it was. It was still a non-football-related injury. It was a celebrating football injury on a plane. Could it possibly be that a couple of shots of vodka were involved in said celebration. I would not rule it out. Yeah. So um, the manager Slutsky has lost his best player for for club and probably best midfielder for country as well before the tournament started and with the World Cup coming up it is a bit political Putin has introduced a five player rule uh, so you can't have more than five foreigners in oh I thought it was going to be more than five gay players <laughs> I thought it was going to be Chris Coleman is only allowed to sleep with five players wives and Slutsky has supported this um, strategy but he's also opposed it because it doesn't help him with CSK in the Champions League are, are you allowed to oppose Putin is that not a dangerous path to take I guess he's he's a uh, he takes risks in his in his daily life with with trees and cats anyway, so he's used to that kind of a uh, death defying uh, activity. <laughs> he talks about making it simple, just winning, but he's actually slipped up a few times. He's read out the wrong player in a, in a team talk and stuff after managing a rival's uh, rival team's player in Russia uh, squad, and then going back to his club and reading out the wrong the wrong player. So he now he has two different suitcases and wardrobes in his house. One is for all of his CSK uh, clothes and his notes. He has all his files in one wardrobe. And the other one, he has his Russian national team to is avoid, it, is, to avoid is this true? Are you just making this, this up? This is genuinely true. This is brilliant. Where did you... This is some seriously good research. I'd like to did take... You, what did you go and interview everyone in his village? Like, how have you got this kind of level of detail? <laughs> I entered one man who, who is a Russian journalist. Uh, so he has some good stuff. Thank you, Yevgeny. Um, <laughs> he also... Um, has called up all but one of Russia's players play in Russia. So it's one of the most home-based squads in the uh, tournament. Yeah. It's a man called Roman Neustadter. Okay. Who, as you might guess, is, is German. He's played mm. two times for the German national team. He was born in the Ukraine. What? And he's in the Russian he's squad? He's a natural fit for the Russian team. <laughs> How does this work? He was called up last month. He, um, he has two separate wardrobes. One for, one for Germany, <laughs> three. One for Ukraine, one for, and one for Russia. <laughs> and he was called up for the tournament despite having never played for the Russian national team and even more fundamentally not being a Russian citizen. <laughs> but also having two caps for Germany. Like twice for Germany. I think they were both in friendly matches so he can circumvent those. Uh, was, he, was he first called up by Israel but refused to play for them? Boycotting that one. Um, is, well, is Arshavin in the, in the squad still? No, we've lost all... There's no former Premier League players at all in the squad. Jerkov? No, no Jerkov. No we have got a Shatov in the squad. But yes, no Shatov. I got him in my Panini. Shatov and Slutsky. I had a childish giggle when I got him in my Panini. No Arshaving, no Pavish no Pogbreniak, no um, Smertin, none of those players. Jerkov um, was in the squad for the qualifying, but hasn't, hasn't so. made the cut. Okay. Russia, the, the squad has a, a very stable defence, a bit like the Italy team we discussed last week. They've got Akinfeyev in goal, who's, oh, yeah. who's been around for a long time. Berezetsky? Which one? Ooh. They're twins. They're, they're like the Klitschko brothers of Russian football. Nice. Both look a little bit like um, Ivanovic, Branislav Ivanovic. With One. a huge arse. Huge, powerful <laughs> arse. Big, powerful buttocks. Um, you can tell the difference between Alexei and Vasily. One has a slightly more broken nose than the other one. So they're physical defenders. They're both 33. Yeah. And then the other defender, the centre-back, is Ignacevic, who's 36. Do, do you reckon their parents can tell the difference and therefore broke one of their noses in order to be able to tell the difference between them? I think it was falling out of a tree rescuing a cat. I think that's the traditional way that you get all injuries in Russia. So those four players have but all been at CSK Moscow for over 14 years. They've played over 1,500 matches for CSK. Wow. Um, so they'll form the, the spine of the defence, but there are question marks over the, the, the pace of the, of the defence. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine Gareth Bale having a, having a bit of fun up, up against such. Yeah. Um, they also had a, a Leicester-style team this season, Rostov. Rostov Nadonu. Rostov Nadonu, um, who came second... It went down to the wire. Um, CSK won one nil on the last day of the season to take the title. But there's not a single Rostov player. There's no Jamie Vardy. I guess Danny Drinkwater didn't make Shatov it. Shatov doesn't play for Rostov. Shatov is not at Rostov. But the Rostov players have been shat on in the sense that none of them have been called up. Lots of speculation that this is because the owner of CSKA Moscow has beef with the Rostov owner. They can't, they can't avoid the politics in Russian football, can they? So their main attacking threats will be um, Kurzakov. He's a mainstay of the Russian team. Who is old and slow and was very disappointing in the World Cup. 
So there, Fedor Smolov, who is another attacking, yeah. attacking threat, um, he he scored five goals between 2007 and 2014. Okay, prolific. So, 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 so yeah, and he had one of his goals when he was in playing in the Netherlands. He had a goal, uh, it was actually taken away from him by the dubious goals panel. So the oh. joke at the time was he scored half a goal a season. Nice. Didn't even get a, a full goal. Um, he was going out with a, um, a Russian TV personality, called uh, Victoria Lopieva. And he then broke up with, with Miss Lopieva um, in, the, uh, in 2014. And then he went on to score eight goals the next season. Ooh. So he almost doubled his tally for the previous seven seasons. She was she, holding him back. She was holding him back, yeah. This season, he scored 20 goals and became the Russian Player of the, Le- player of the Year. Let me guess, he's gone gay. He's, he's, he's taking it in sequential steps. <laughs> and it, it's doing wonders for it. So he, he, he'll be their main goal threat, I think, this time round. And, it, and it's by getting rid of the wag, it seems, that he's... So, maybe, so maybe, maybe they should send this Victoria Lopieva into like the opposition camp. And, into the Wales and, and camp. And see if she can, like, yeah. yeah Cookie well, Coleman might have a piece Coleman, of that. Coleman, yeah, he'll have a piece of that. What look to be the minnows in this group in terms of reputation is definitely Slovakia. They're ranked 24th by FIFA and actually one of the youngest teams in Europe. They were only formed in 1993 when Slovakia split from the Czech Republic. And the only time we've really seen them at a major tournament was at the 2010 World Cup where they got a very impressive 3-2 win against Italy, um, basically knocked Italy out and went through to the second round where they lost very narrowly to Netherlands who eventually finished as runners-up. So they're not as shabby a team as you might think. In their group, they qualifying group, they finished second behind Spain in Group C. Um, well, shabby Alonso. Not too shabby. Not too shabby Alonso. Shabby Alonso. Yeah. Yeah. Who did um, they finish above? They finished ahead of Ukraine. They finished with seven wins, two draws in their ten games. And impressively, just a few days ago, they beat Germany away 3-1 in Germany. So, although, so did England. It's not that impressive. Well, against Germany this time around, they won 3-1. They were 1-0 down, but it was a very experimental team that was played by Joachim Löw. It only really had Boateng and Sami Khedira from the first choice to 11. He was David raised... Hasselhoff was up top, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they've also beaten Switzerland and Iceland recently, but on the uh, negative side, they drew with Ireland and Latvia, so some kind of mixed results in, in some of their matches. But they've got one star player, and I suppose today we're going to be talking about a lot of teams that have one star player that they focus on, so Ronaldo for Portugal, uh, Bale for Wales. Joe Allen for Wales. Joe Allen for Wales, yeah. For uh, Slovakia, it's unquestionably Marek Hamzik of Napoli, who is uh, a cracking player with a seriously shit haircut. He's the one who's got a sort of Mohican shaved on the sides oh, and what yes. looks like a toilet brush on the top of his head, and really, really genuinely does not suit him, that look. It just doesn't work for him. Other notable players in the squad that we know of, um, Martin Skirtle, Liverpool centre-back. They've got a guy called Jurash. He's been well-rested this season, so you just would be happy with that. Okay. He still needs a vowel. Someone buy that man a vowel. <laughs> Juraj Kuka, who plays in midfield for AC Milan, and is a bit of a rags-to-riches success story. Uh, other players we know of, they've got ex-Chelsea player Miroslav Stock, who was there as a youngster about 10 years ago, and another guy who was in the Premier League about 10 years ago, ex-Man City player Vladimir Weiss. Ah, Vlad Weiss. Vlad Weiss. Um, so they've got a couple of old-school youngsters. Um, interestingly, when they were in the World Cup in 2010, their manager was also called Vladimir Weiss, and it was actually <laughs> Vladimir Weiss's dad. And he got in quite a lot of trouble at the time for, you know, nepotism. Like, he was putting his teenage son in the Slovakia team and people thought it was a bit dodgy. But actually, Vladimir Weiss has turned out to be a decent player and he was okay in that. Confusingly, though... Did he also play Rachel Weiss? Or? If she, they probably should have played Rachel, yeah. Um, confusingly, Vladimir Weiss, the manager's dad, was also called Vladimir Weiss and was also a footballer. So they have three generations of Slovakian international footballers all called Vladimir Weiss. Um, and I wait with bated breath to see what Vladimir Weiss is going to call his son when he eventually has one. Belinda. 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 Well, yeah, Rachel, if it's a lady, it's got to be, if it's a girl, it's got to be Rachel. So Hamzik is a really good player for Napoli, driving runs, 
He's the vision, or everything goes through him. He also works incredibly hard. He's actually been at Napoli a long time. He's been there since uh, 2007. And it's quite surprising because he's been robbed three times during that period. So they have a thing in Napoli. It's quite a dangerous city. You've got a lot of gangsters. You've got a lot of mafia there. Like Liverpool and, when the players go away for European... Yeah, players. but I don't think of, there's been three incidents like this. So he basically has had three times he's been in traffic uh, in his car... Uh, and a scooter has driven up to them with three men on it. And they smashed the window. They point a gun through the window and they relieved him of his £10,000 Rolex Daytona. And this has happened to him three times. It's also happened to his pregnant wife, Martina, who had her car stolen at gunpoint, which was later recovered thanks to so some flight tracking. So their cars have big red uh, Mohicans on top of the car. Probably, yes. Yeah. People... Just look for the toilet brush in traffic. <laughs> Does he have a private number plate? So yeah. Like and this seems to be a bit of a thing in Napoli, because it also happened to um, uh, Argentinian striker Ezekiel Levetzi's girlfriend, Janina Screpanti. And this led her to have a rant at Napoli on Twitter and call it a shit city, which got some very strong remarks from the owner of Napoli, Aurelio de Laurentiis, he's who a, said... He's a character. He said, in a climate of recession, I think you should not go around with a Rolex on your arm. So it's clearly their fault for flaunting their wealth too much. Uh, anyway, so Marek Hamzik will unquestionably be their, their main player. They're gonna, he's going to line up in a free role in a 4-2-3-1 formation. Interestingly, unlike England, who've gone for five strikers in the squad, Slovakia have only named two. They've got a real dearth of attacking options up front. And really, if you can nullify the threat of Marek Hamzik, then really they shouldn't have too much. But they're not going to be the rid- a ridiculously shabby So um, who, who is side. the biggest one man? team in this tournament I mean I'm still going to stick with Sweden. Sweden because I think they've got very little else other than Zlatan but equally I mean you could say that Hamzik at Slovakia could count as a they're largely a one man team you could possibly make a case for Gilfie Sigurdsson at Iceland but the golf got... between Martin Skirtle is, is a very good player so it's not the golf isn't as big true Hamzik to Skirtle is not as big as Zlatan to Seb Larsson yeah so uh, other than Hamzik and Skirtle not a great deal of quality to look out for and in terms of a wag they've got an excellent wag story Skirtle's defensive partner is a guy called Jan Durica who is a serial wag dater. He dated uh, a Russian actress and model called Maria Gorbin, but he's now in a relationship with Miss Slovakia 2006, who's called Magdalena Sebestova, and she, brilliantly, is an ex-girlfriend of one of his best mates. So uh, I, I, actually, I actually watched Miss Slovakia 2006. Did you? I don't think she deserved to win that. Okay, year, fair enough. Yeah, it was a bit of a fix. Yeah, she's the ex-girlfriend of a guy called Philip Sabo, who used to play up front for Rangers in Scotland, and, yeah, is one of Durica's best mates. So he's done a love rat thing there, potentially. He's done a bit of a Wayne Bridge, John Terry kind of thing. Maybe it'd be a shorter podcast to find footballers that aren't love rats. Yeah, yeah, very possibly. So that's Wales, Slovakia and Russia. So what about dark horses in this group, England? What do we make of their chances? So England, so I mean, most of us, if you're anything like me, spend half our lives talking about the squad, the team. We know everything about them. So I thought, let's try and find an angle that people don't know about. And Mm. I don't think anyone has been talking about the mascot that England have going to this tournament. Who is the mascot? It is number three goalkeeper, Tom Heaton. <laughs> this guy, Tom Heaton, I, I, I was just thinking about this, right? I know I have a bit of an obsession with Tom Heaton, mainly because I have no idea who he is or what he looks like. But what are the chances of him actually playing on this tournament? I mean, for two goalkeepers to get injured, I, it's got to be something around 100 to 1 for him actually to feature in this tournament in yeah. three or four games. So he's basically a mascot. He's a cheerleader. He's going wrong. You, you, I think as your third choice goalkeeper, you really want to take someone who's good for morale. At least Russia so take a Brazilian should, cheerleader. They, right. should, they should take Peter Kay or... Well, exactly. Know. As your third choice goalkeeper, Lee yeah. Evans. Why not take Michael McIntyre? Who the fuck is Tom Heaton? Here we go. Thomas David Heaton from Chester. And what, 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 what surprised me again about Tom, Tom Heaton is you're, if you're taking a third choice goalkeeper who's basically going along for the experience, you take a young up-and-coming guy who's got potential to play for England in the future. Tom Heaton is 30 years old. He's basically a complete journeyman. He was at Manchester United as a youth player from 2002 all the way through to 2010, went out on six loan spells, including randomly Royal Antwerp, 
And he's he then went to Cardiff, Bristol, Burnley. He's played three minutes for England against Australia. And I think that will be the only three minutes he ever plays for England. It's, it just seems like such a random choice and a waste of a space in the squad. Okay. Well, that's pretty harsh. Uh, Tom Heaton, if you're listening, we love you, buddy. <laughs> so how far are we going to go? So we should be qualifying out, out of this group. And if we qualify as winners, we've got a relatively easy second round match against one of the third place teams. In France's group, probably. But no, no, the way it works in the second round is the third place team, it could come from one of it three could groups. Come from different groups. So actually yeah. there's, a, there's about eight teams that are in the mix, really. It's different combinations. Could, yeah. But they'll be the third best team. Yeah, and I don't think there's any group where we shouldn't beat the third best team. And then if we go through to the quarterfinal, uh, it looks like we could have a lineup against our old friends Portugal in the quarterfinal. Portugal, Rooney, Ronaldo, quarterfinal. We've been here before, haven't we, guys? It's it's Portugal, Belgium, or Italy. I think as a potential quarterfinal opponents if we win our group. The one I would least fancy of those three would be Belgium. But also Portugal have knocked us out. Twice before in the quarterfinals. Yeah. I wouldn't mind, play, I wouldn't mind playing them, though. I think, I think they don't have a great team. I think Ronaldo's not fully fit. I would fancy our chances against Portugal and Italy. Belgium would be the one that would really worry me. But if, yeah. if we get through that, it's probably going to be the semi-final against France or Spain. So for me, England either go out in the quarterfinals against Belgium or they get to the semi-finals and lose to France yeah. or Spain. Do you have a wag for England? Well, funnily enough, I couldn't find any England wags because all the profiles of all the players said they've been single since January 2010, which surprisingly was when John Terry's affair <laughs> came out, so I suspect they might be lying. <laughs> So that is Group B, and it'll be interesting to see how far England can get. Before we move on to Group F, Portugal's group, I just want to focus just for a second on an amazing story that has come out of Mexican football this week, which is the kidnap and release of Mexican player Alan Polito. Have you guys mm. been following this story? No. So the, the, the story that most people understand is that this guy, who is a player for Olympiacos in Greece... He was snatched in a city called Cuidad Victoria last Saturday night. And was he with Marek Himzan at the time? Marek Hamzik. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Never, never be with that guy. He is a, a magnet for danger. Um, he was kidnapped and he was held for 24 hours over the weekend. And then the story came out that, that he'd been released. He'd been rescued by the police. It's actually a bit it, more complicated. It was rescued actually by Leonard Slutsky. By Leonard Slutsky. Well, Sean Penn was there as well. It's actually a little bit more complicated than that because he wasn't just rescued by the police. He actually escaped himself by disarming a gun-wielding kidnapper he, he takes this guy's phone and he calls the police and the way that he finds out where he is is the police recording shows him like literally beating the guy over the head you hear the sounds of him beating this kidnapper over the head demanding that he tells him the address and when the police are on their way he, he tries to fire the gun out of the window uh, to show them where he is where he's being held but it doesn't go off because there's no bullets in the gun so he was being held by a kidnapper who had no bullets in his gun anyway so he wrestled a 50 caliber weapon away from him so yeah so he's actually a bit of a hero this guy and uh, he sent a twitter message on monday thanking the authorities for finding him but a lot of people are rather suspicious about what's happened because because no kidnappings in Mexico ever actually get solved. The police are heavily involved. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of accusations that they're actually behind a lot of the kidnappings. And nobody has ever seen them move so fast to try and get somebody back from a kidnapping. So there you go. Alan Polito, bit of a hero. Well done him. Yeah, well done him. All right. Um, well, let's move on then to Group F, which is, um, on paper, looks like quite a weak group. Portugal are the seeded team in this group. Cristiano Ronaldo is the seeded Yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, they are joined by Iceland, Austria, and Hungary. Who Austria and Hungary are actually renewing one of the biggest rivalries in world football. It is the second most played international fixture of all, behind Argentina versus Uruguay. Mm. So, who should we start with? Let's start with Tom. I'm feeling hungry today, um, and their manager is Bernard Stork, who's a bit of a journeyman manager. You do love the manager. I do. I think it's a, the manager. some of the best material comes from the manager. Often the most interesting backstories. So um, Bernard Stork played for Dortmund as a as a player, but his managerial career has not been quite so prestigious up to this point. He was the Kazakhstan under twenty one manager, and he then got promoted to the full Kazakhstan national team manager gig. 
Um, but after being sacked there, he took on the less prestigious role of Kazakhstan under 19s manager. <laughs> He's really regressed. So maybe if Roy Hodgson does get the, the chop after this tournament, he could take on England under 19s. So he's represented Kazakhstan at all levels, just not in the right order. <laughs> it wasn't a, a yeah, seamless progression. And then at Hungary, he was the under 20 manager, and he's now become the, the full national team manager. So he's, he's repeated that trick of taking over the youth team. He's going and for then, the big job, though. Hungary girls under 14 team. Under, under 14s. And... He took over from a guy called Dardai, who is the Hertha Berlin manager, and he was doing a job share just like Slutsky at Russia. So, um, But Hungary decided that he couldn't really handle the pressure. He didn't have his two separate wardrobes. So <laughs> he was he was pushed out um, in favour of Bernard Stork, who, who's taken over. And he wasn't given the biggest sign of faith from the Hungarian Football Association. He was given a contract as full manager until the end of the qualifying campaign. Nice. And then when he qualified, they gave him a contract until the last day of the tournament. Right. Um, so <laughs> he hasn't even got any security. He hasn't been rewarded with a two-year contract. To me, that makes sense. Like, why is an, inter- is an international manager getting a contract in years rather than a contract that kind of starts and ends at the, sort of at the end of your last game? When precisely does the contract end? So on the day that they're knocked out of the competition, does he have to make his own way home to Hungary? Are they not going to put oh, on like, oh, a flight The for day him? after the final, surely. I think, yeah, if they'd done it to the group stage, the last game in the group stage would have been a bit meaner. But I think it's the end of the tournament. So, so unless to... they, if they win the final, he might have to make his own way or lose the final. He but... has to settle his own hotel bill, has to hand in his mobile phone. If they win the final, he might just get it renewed, possibly. I don't know. I think they're, they're lining might... him up for the under-13 team. It'd be hard to turn that down, I think. I think it's a fair, a fair challenge. Why, why should he have more than beyond the tournament if you're a national team but at the same time it's the first time Hungary have qualified for the Euros in 44 years um, their first major tournaments in 1986 so uh, they beat Norway in a, in a playoff they beat them home and away they've got a few unlike Russia who have no former Premier League players they've got quite a, a good back catalogue of former Premier League um, characters shall we say so okay. in goal they've got Gabor Kirai is, now, he, is he the one that wore pyjamas while playing? He still does wear pyjamas, but now he's 40 years old and he does just look like an old man who's got out of bed. Um, he still trains and plays in his full full pyjama bottoms. Um, so he, he, we know the goalkeeper well. He'll be the first choice. He's been brought back in to um, stabilise things. So as well as Kirani, we've got Zoltan Gira, who's now 37 years yeah. old after two stints at Zoltan, I tell you what, they're good on names, Hungary. Zoltan is a badass name, good. isn't it? I imagine he can still do a job at 37. He was a player that relied on his sort of vision and intelligence more than anything else. Yeah, he's 88 caps, lots of experience. He's got 24 goals, so he has got a very good international record. Come on, guys. He was shit for West Brom. No, I, I rate him highly. He's a good player. All right, who else have they got? They've got another guy who who Brendan Rodgers nurtured from obscurity, Tamas Priskin, um, who's played for something like eight different British clubs, mostly in the Championship. Um, but it was his goal against Norway that got the ball rolling to get them through. They've also, at the back, they've got a guy called Kadai, who's played for Newcastle United. He played uh, 13 games in five years for them. And he's now known um, by his teammates at, um, put, uh, as Jesse Pinkman. For the old bad boy, because of his lookalike to the Breaking Bad. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's a, he's a crystal meth dealer on the side. I wouldn't rule it out. And his partner at centre-back is uh, Roland Juskas, who's um, very experienced, 91 caps. Um, but Kadar really is the main man at the back, so you could question the quality of their defence. And they've got a character nicknamed Skulls. They, they like their nicknames in, in Hungary. Um, they call him Skullsy. He's a guy called Laszlo Kleinheisler. And he actually made his debut... Um, in the against in the qualifying, so he's 22 years old. He was playing in the Hungarian third division after a contract dispute with his club. But so he made his national national debut. Having they love demoting people in Hungary, don't they? They it's do like a national pastime. He got plucked out of the third division uh, where he was in exile, and he scored on his international debut. So he actually he now plays with Werder Bremen, and he's the only player in the Hungarian squad who plays in any of Europe's top five leagues. So overall, I'm really not hearing a, a great deal of quality here. Are we p- putting these on as potential um, strugglers in this group? I think that's probably fair. Their star man is a guy called Balaz Duzak, who plays for Bursaspor in Turkey, and he's got 18 goals for um, Hungary, so he's the second top scorer in, okay. the, in the squad after Zoltan Gira. But no, they're, they're calling up kind of mediocre Premier League players in their late 30s and 40s, 
they're scrabbling around for um, players from the Turkish league to be their star star creators. So I don't see them as being a big big threat. Um, okay. They'll play a four two three one. Their main threat comes to set pieces. Eight of their fourteen goals in qualifying were from set pieces. So. Um, they could pose a, a minor threat yeah. from from the dead ball situations. And have you got a wag for them? I haven't, but I did want to tell a very quick story about their all time greatest player, mm-hmm. who you'll know is Zoltan Gira. Is Ferenc Pushkas? Eighty four goals in eighty five games that's for bad, for Hungary. But you, that's disappointing, right? Because you really want to be able to say I had a goal a game, yeah. just one shot. You'd think you'd keep playing until you got that kind of brace to get you up to a goal a game. Yeah, it would have been nice. So he was playing in Hungary and they were playing away against Bilbao in the European two-legged competition. They played the away game, he was there happily, and then there was a revolution in Hungary, but a bit inconvenient. And his team at that point was the army team, they'd been taken over by the army. Mm. So he was actually given a rank as a, as a soldier in the Hungarian army, so he was nicknamed the Galloping Major. But also, the, the Hungarian team, the famous Hungarian team of the 50s, was called the Mighty Magyars. So he was a, a Magyar major... Magyar major. Yeah. It was slightly unfair, the transfer policy at the time, because the army owned or ran the team, they could just cons- use conscription to sign any player they wanted from Hungary. So they would force someone to join the army and then play for, for their team. So this, this army team is in Bilbao and the revolution starts. So they don't want to go back. So they go on to, to they get their families out of the country and they go on a small fundraising tour of Europe and South America where people pay to watch them watch them play so they raise some money and then Pushkas eventually comes back and he wants to join another team in Europe he is a, is a star of the European stage but the, the Hungarian authorities don't want him playing after he's betrayed the country and, and left during the revolution so FIFA imposed a two year ban on him from playing for any team so Juventus tried to sign him but they're not allowed to um, and then after the two year ban he, he's 30 years old so he's, his career has been cut short at 28 Gets to 30, he's allowed to play a game, but no one really wants him. Man United looking to sign him after the Munich air crash. Teams in Italy don't really want him because he's seen as old and overweight. But yeah, he signs at 31 for Real Madrid, so he's older than Wayne Rooney is now. Wayne Rooney has scored 178 goals for Man United, and he goes on to score 233 league goals for Real Madrid, having signed age 31. So it's like decent signing. It's like Wayne Rooney's whole Man United career in terms of goals again, and then another 50. On yeah. top of that, having signed at 31. So Man United must have been kicking themselves. I can't understand. Why would you not take a player who was like... It's basically being offered Messi or whatever on a free transfer. After three years in prison for tax evasion or something. And, maybe, not, yeah. and not taking him. It's insane. But yeah, his endurance for, for seven or eight years at Madrid, he was, he was yet, a world-class player. And yet player. Marlon King can beat the shit out of a woman in a bar uh, and immediately after being in jail for six months go on to play for Hull. What is the world coming to? So uh, Pushkas is my is my honorary wag for the day. Very good. All right, well, let's um, have a look at their rivals, uh, traditional rivals, Austria, who are potentially um, a good bet for a dark horse in this competition. Rather amazingly, they are ranked 10th in the world, which puts them ahead of England, Italy, and France. And I just want to make the point that this makes absolutely no sense. But which this, ranking system are you talking about? This is the FIFA there? ranking system, oh. right? Okay. Uh, this is despite them not having qualified for a major tournament since France 1998, when they went out in the group stage. Now, the only other tournament they were in, in, that, in during um, that period was Euro 2008, which they got into by the clever wheeze of being co-hosts with Switzerland. So they didn't even qualify for that one. So how have they got to 10th in, in, the, re- in the rankings? Well, one reason is obviously that the FIFA rankings are complete bollocks and made by a, a childish, incompetent system. But the other is that they had a rather impressive qualifying campaign. They won uh, a pretty tough group, Group G, ahead of Russia, Sweden and Montenegro, and they won it very well. Nine wins, one draw out of ten. They scored 22 and they only conceded five. So they're a good side. They've all, all of a sudden um, become quite a good side. 
But they've not been doing particularly well in friendlies, so where they've got all these points from, I, I have no idea. Do you think we should start an inverted Wingers ranking system? I think we probably should. Take on the monopoly think, that FIFA have. I think you could probably just ask any averagely informed football fan in a pub, and they would give you a more accurate ranking than uh, FIFA does. So in um, their friendlies, they beat the uh, football powerhouses of Albania and Malta. Impressive. But they lost to Turkey and Switzerland. So how they are currently 10th in the world uh, is a bit of a mystery to me. In terms of their notable players, there's one who stands out, which is, of course, Bayern Munich's David Alaba, who is an absolute gem of a player. Um, he uh, came into the Bayern team as a left-back. They've recently been using him as a centre-back. But for Austria, he actually runs things in the middle of the park. Wow. He's, he's actually a, a central midfielder. Who, he's got a lot of vision. He's technically brilliant. He's absolutely fantastic player. He has been Austria's player of the year for the last five years, which means basically from the age of 18, he's been the best Austrian player. And there's a good chance that he will be for the next five years as well the best Austrian player so are you saying they're another one man team well he's not they're not actually a one man team because they do also have some other decent players so they've got Leicester's title winning left back Christian Fuchs who's Very got good player. over Very 70 good player. caps for them they've got Stoke City's talented but rather inconsistent forward Marco Arnautovic they've got um, Tottenham's young reserve centre back Kevin Wimmer who came in and did a, a very good job covering for Jan Vertonghen um, while he was out for several months earlier this year and w- really wasn't missed at all Wimmer did so excellently the Belgium model they'll play him at left back and hopefully probably he produces the form um, they've got uh, Watford's Sebastian Prodel and the rest of the squad um, largely plays in the Bundesliga they've actually only got one player in the squad who plays in the Austrian um, league so defensively, they're going to be quite solid. Fuchs is a good left-back. Um, they've also got a tough-tackling 25-year-old centre-back called Alexander Dragovic, who doesn't sound very Austrian. He's actually born to Serbian parents, uh, and he plays for Dynamo Kiev. And he's got 50 caps by the age of 25, which is not bad for a central defender. And he's actually quite an interesting character, Dragovic. Oh. Um, he made his debut in the Austria-Vienna team at the age of 17, and then he made his name when he moved to Basel in Switzerland. And he won three titles, three league titles in a row with Basel before he moved to Dynamo Kiev, where he's won two leagues in a row. So he's won five league titles in the last six he's seasons. He's on a roll. But more interestingly, he attracted quite a lot of public criticism um, when he was at Basel after they won the Swiss Cup in 2012 where there was a bit of an incident when they were celebrating the, the, the cup victory famously where he he playfully slapped a Swiss politician called Uli Maurer several times on the head. And this is... I've seen, I, my research involved looking at the footage of this. So basically, they're all standing around. They're in their like T-shirts with their medals around their neck. And they're about waiting for the trophy. And he's kind of stood behind this sort of 60-year-old, bald-headed politician. And he literally just has a moment of madness. And he reaches out to the guy in front of him, just slaps him on the head. And this guy obviously turns around saying like what the fuck's going on at which point Dragovic just turned around and just like starts talking to his mates and pretends that it wasn't him uh, and this guy uh, the, poli- the politician then turns his head back he's a bit confused seconds later he does exactly the same thing and this is all caught on camera and uh, what's brilliant is the fact that standing next to him is Jordan Shakiri who was playing for uh, Basel at the time and Shakiri hasn't seen him do the first lap, but he sees him do the second one, and the camera zooms in on Shakiri, who looks utterly shocked. I mean, this is basically the equivalent of Gary Cahill winning the FA Cup, standing behind Jeremy Hunt and just slapping him around the top of the I head. Exactly. The stadium, yeah. So uh, there was a, this was all caught on camera and it was a big scandal in the media. And Dragovic, he refused to apologise for this. And when he was questioned by the press, he said, on the inside, everybody knows, so I believe, that it was very, very much fun doing it. <laughs> and eventually he had to travel to the Bundeshaus in Bern and apologise personally to like the sports minister. Minister Uli Maurer. So there you go, a combustible character uh, at centre back. So Austria are going to play a 4-2-3-1, like a lot of teams in this competition. They've got Arnautovic and Martin Harnik are the side of a pretty decent striker, a guy called Mark Janko, who uh, plays for Basel. He's got a very good 1-2 record for Switzerland. He's got 26 goals in 53 games, so he sounds like a quite decent striker. 
The midfield will be quite good. Alaba kind of runs things. They've also got a, a hard man in a guy called Julian Baumgartner, who is a defensive midfielder who's going to sweep up everything. And he is one of the hardest running players in the tournament. In one of the games earlier this season, he ran 13.63 kilometers in a game, which is pretty amazing. So you can imagine that there. He didn't touch the ball. He was just up and down the Just up and down, yeah. He was actually he was a referee's assistant for that game. He was just up and down. And uh, Martin Harnick, who's quite a good player at Stuttgart, who's another midfielder, um, he was he had a bit of a Julian Lescott moment earlier this season when he was heavily criticised by the Stuttgart fans towards the end of the season. Stuttgart were in a battle against relegation and they just about survived, but a picture of him and his new €180,000 Porsche appeared on social media. The old Jolien Lescott. The old Jolien Lescott thing, yeah. It actually wasn't his fault. He hadn't put it up. It was put up there by the guy who sold him the car. The car salesman was trying to drum up a bit of business. And he had to say about it, I hope that the Stuttgart fans, despite the unfortunate thing with their car, keep in their memory a man who is not a football without a brain and who buys a new Porsche in the middle of a relegation battle. Rather, try to remember someone who gives everything, accepts criticism, (laughs) and is also very self-critical. I do not want to leave this club as an arse. Or so, as Joey Lescott said, my arse accidentally yeah, exactly. took the picture. Yeah. So, yeah, this decent midfield, and I think they'll be a very organised team. Five goals conceded in qualifying suggests that they know what they're doing defensively. A uh, couple of players to look out for. There's a guy called Marcel Sabitzer, who's a pacey direct left winger, who's linked with United and Juventus at the age of 18, but um, hasn't quite progressed. He's um, on loan at Red Bull Salzburg at the moment. They've also got a dynamic midfielder called Zlatko Junozovic, who's also quite experienced. And I think they're probably quite a good shout to finish second to Portugal in this group, or maybe even run Portugal close. But this doesn't look to me like a classic Portugal team. Sounds like more of a balanced team they've got than Portugal. Potentially, maybe. yeah. And perhaps not quite so strong with their bench, um, but the first 11 looks to be quite decent. The winners of Group F play the runners-up of Group E, which is the group of death with Belgium, Italy, Ireland and Sweden. So if you, even if you win this group, um, it's actually not guaranteed that you get through to the quarterfinals. In fact, it may actually be preferable to finish second in this group. It might be a, a race to finish second because whoever finishes second in this group has an easier match against the second place team in England's group Mm. so potentially that's Wales Russia it's an unusual format isn't it because in previous tournaments it would be the first and second from one group playing the first and second from another group yeah yeah but this in in this scenario as you say you might be it might be preferable to finish second to actually face a team from another group well the, the, the strange format and the lopsided nature of the third place teams that goes through means that most of the groups in fact the the early letters of the ABCD uh, groups they play the winners play a third place team whereas these last two groups E and F they don't they've run out of third place teams so the the winners of this group have to play a runner up so actually not only have Belgium and Italy been drawn in the group of death they've also got the harder side of the draw in terms of what happens after that group so actually that was the group not to be in of course the biggest casualty of the expanded format is the Panini sticker albums which now require 700 stickers yeah yeah and how, how's that going for you at the moment? Well, we're probably two-thirds of the way through, but that's when you get into the really hard bit. But I think, with a bit of luck, Austria could actually be beating Portugal to win this group, and so it could be an England-Austria quarter-final, potentially. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Iceland. Iceland. Okay, so I'm going to try and rattle through this a little bit. I mean... With Iceland, the research is pretty easy, right? You just ask your mum, she's always at Iceland. Unbelievable, <laughs> <laughs> can't believe we've got that. <laughs> they couldn't resist, I couldn't resist. Um, so, I mean, you've got to give credit where it's due. Iceland, they have the population the size of Hull. They don't exactly have ideal terrain in their home country for mm-hmm. playing football. You're playing next to a volcano, perhaps. And they finished, this is their first tournament they've qualified for. They finished second to Czech Republic in their group, but they beat Holland both home and away. Incredibly impressive achievement. And they also overcame the mighty Borat in Kazakhstan. Previously, I mean, the closest they've come is in 2014. They lost a playoff to Croatia to narrowly miss out on qualification. But I I worry for them. I worry for them in this group. Yes, their qualification was impressive, but let's look at their recent form. In, In their friendlies leading up to this, they've lost to the mighty Norway, Denmark, USA, and UAE. I mean, if you're losing to UAE... 
I don't think I think you're going to struggle against the likes of Portugal and, and Austria. We've talked before about having friendlies against teams like playing the style you're going to play. It doesn't feel like Denmark and Norway are particularly similar to other teams in this, this group. Well, more similar than USA and UAE. Sure. UAE. So I think that their strengths are they have a few strengths. So their midfield is pretty strong. They've got this guy called Aaron Gunnarsson who plays for Cardiff and has had a good season. And then you've got Gilfie Sigurdsson who who is probably their star player. We've all seen him playing for Swansea and for Tottenham. And he, I think he has a, a, a very, very impressive shot on him. And that, that's a really good weapon when you've got someone that can shoot from outside the area, take free kicks. Uh, and he has a good goal-scoring record. Unlike but, our Mexican kidnapper who had a terrible shot on him. <laughs> <laughs> the Complete inability to shoot, in fact. They also have a star striker who has a record of a goal in every two games for Iceland. And his name is Colbin Sigthorsen. Uh, he plays for Nantes, and he's been linked with... Is he in any relation to Andre Sigtorsen, who was a star player on uh, Championship Manager 2001-2002? I'm going to go with maybe. Yeah. Uh, they're Iceland they're all crazy. related to each other, aren't they? They're all cousins. Well, they're all sons, aren't they? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the... <laughs> sons and dotiers. Uh But the worries over him is that he's had a lot of injuries... Is he going to be fully fit? Is he going to be on form? So that's another reason I kind of worry for them. Their main goal-scoring threat is... One of the reasons I worry for them is I think it's always a really good indication of how good a team is, who makes their kit. So, you know, Portugal, Nike kit, um, there's loads of Adidas teams in. Iceland's kit is made by Area. E double R E A. Former Middlesbrough kit supplier. One of the shittest manufacturers. I mean, that's that's worse than having a pony kit or Kappa Hummel. Kappa. Hummels. Hummel was good. Hummel when they did uh, when they did Spurs um, kit were fantastic. And another reason to worry for them is is their reliance on Idigood Johnson, who is still in the squad, aged thirty seven. Mm. He didn't score for from two thousand and nine until two thousand and fifteen for them. Wow. So that was a worrying drought. He's he's come back to a bit of form. He scored the crucial goals in, in qualifying. Where does he play now? Does he has he dropped back into midfield? Is he kind of trade? No, he still plays. There? He still plays in his kind of number ten role. They don't ask right. him to do too much. So they tend to use him more against the, against the weaker teams when they want to keep the ball. Mm. They they find he's he's a very useful tool in, in kind of recycling possession, keeping the ball. He's he's a very neat footballer. Mm. He's he's one of my favourite favourite all time Premier League players. To be honest, he was so cool and calm and never had any natural kind of pace or physicality. But the vision and 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 the technique was always of the of the highest order. And their other secret weapon is their they they've brought back the joint managers. They've brought ah. back the uh, Roy Evans Gerard Houllier style joint Lagerback. So yes, yeah, so oh, is it last time? He's one of them. No yes, way. he is well, one of them. He's so, Swedish. So he, he he was the Swedish manager, but he is now the joint Iceland manager. They brought Lars Lagerback back to international football. Yeah, they're, bring, they're bringing Lager back. We've had some great manager names today: Bernard Stork, Leonard Slutsky, Lars Lagerback. And and so his co-manager is Jaime. Hal Grimson. That's easy for you to say. Uh, and that, that might even be incorrect if I've misread my He sounds more Icelandic than Swedish. Is it an international joint manager? It is, it is. It's, um, it's promoting uh, integration through Europe. A lot of Heimer's work has been done at this point. He's, mainly, he's the guy who does the local scouting, looks for, looks for the talent. He's the details man. He'll, he'll probably be doing the kind of reports on the opposition, while Lars Lagerbach is the kind of experienced master tactician, the strategist, the 442 merchant. So one of them is keeping their tactical reports in one wardrobe, and presumably Lagerback is keeping all the lager in another wardrobe. Yes, and the if, fridge, yeah, if right. there's a cat stuck up a tree, then they kind of like toss call, a coin to see No, you. call in Leonard Slutsky. He's got experience. Well, I mean, they're not a rich team. I don't know if they can afford some of the, the caliber of Slutsky. Okay. So not many trees in Iceland anyway. So there are their strengths. There are their strengths. They haven't got any big names in defense, but with Lagerback organizing them, they generally sort of do a decent job. They're, I thought they had lots of big names in defence, like Goodmundersson. Yeah, exactly. Very Arnautovsson. They, they should be make, the FA should be making a lot of money from Bjarne, uh, player names on the back of shirts. Fifty p a letter. That's going to be that's lucrative. So where I worry about them is in goal. They've got this guy called Han, and it's another good name, Han Thor Haldorson. But this guy was part time until very recently, combining playing goal with being a film director. And he actually directed Iceland's 2012 <laughs> Eurovision Song Contest oh, entry. Beautiful. Called 
And I'm not sure if it is a take that cover, but it was called Never Forget. Okay. <laughs> and so hang on, your research has not extended to looking this up? I, I didn't listen to it. I know that you like to kind of listen to these Eurovision entries, but what I do know... I don't like to. I just feel a duty to the listeners. What I do know is last week we had uh, Edern, David De Gea's uh, yes. missus, who finished 21st. Well, Han Thor Hal Dawson finished 20th I in might. 2012. Yeah, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure if his mind's on his goalkeeping. That's my worry. Excellent Eurovision pedigree, perhaps not good Euro 2016 pedigree. Exactly right. So, in conclusion, I think that and just listening to something. In conclusion, this isn't a fucking exam. <laughs> in, listen, I've set out my uh, my method. This is, it's a science experiment here. Uh, my working has been shown, and now I've reached my conclusion. So, no, just listening to what you guys have been saying about some of the other teams in the group as well. Uh, if we if we th- if we say that Portugal are the likely winners. Austria have got to be the likely second place team. Christian Fuchs and Altovic, both players are rate highly. Alibus, obviously, class. And then I think Iceland really have, will have a scrap for, for third or fourth with Hungary. And given Tom said that Hungary have no players in Europe's top five leagues, maybe Iceland can scrape third. And I think that, should, okay. that would be a decent achievement for them. So the big question, have you gone for Bjork as WAG? I, I didn't go for a WAG. I mean, Gylfi Sigurdsson has the sort of standard kind of miss... Iceland type type wag cookie cutter Miss Iceland yeah. footballer wag. I went for I went for a story which is one of my favourite football stories is Ida Good Johnson's debut for Iceland. Ah, he came on for his dad, whose name I didn't look up, but let's just call him Ida Good John, just just for okay, yeah, just, yeah. For, just for Ida the good John, John Iderson, Good John yeah. and Good Johnson. We'll call yeah. him. So he came on for his dad, age seventeen. Now. Why would you not let them play together? It's never happened. A, a father and a son have never played together for an international football team. This was a perfect opportunity, and he came on for his dad. Now, there is a reason. The president of the Icelandic FA, which was the ex-West Ham owner, Iga Magnusson, I mm-hmm. want to say, yeah. he had actually decreed that he, he was so desperate for this to actually happen that he wanted it to happen on their home ground. And this match was away to Estonia in Tallinn. So he said the day that they're going to play together and make history will be at home. However, after that game, Ida Good Johnson got injured. Which one? The, the Ida Good Johnson <laughs> okay. got injured. And by the time he recovered from his injury, his father had retired. Unbelievable. So they never actually got to play together and it's never actually happened. That is a tragedy. That is the shame. There you go. They've actually played together in the crash at home. In their garden, maybe. There's some footage, I think, out there. Yeah. Yeah, Penalty uh, competition in their back garden could have been quite tasty. Uh, okay, brilliant. So that's Iceland. Well, we've mentioned it already. The favourites in this group are Portugal, who obviously we saw uh, struggling to a 1-0 defeat against England after Bruno Alves got <laughs> sent off for one of the most blatant red card offences uh, you could possibly see. Portugal are ranked 8th by FIFA, which puts them behind only Spain and Germany in the Euros, according to uh, our venerable football running body. Uh, they qualified top of the little group, so there was uh, one group that had less teams than the others. They only had 8 teams in their group, um, 9 teams in their group, so they got 7 wins and 1 loss in their 8 games. But all of those 7 games, I mean, it sounds quite good on paper, but all of those 7 games, they only won by 1 goal. Consistent, efficient, very consistent. But um, I would suggest if um, if we've got any betting fans amongst the listeners, bet on one nil games involving Portugal because that seems to be their stock result these days. Either one winning nil, it or losing it. Portugal. Exactly. Well, one, often one losing as well. Ronaldo to score seems like a. So yeah, I mean they've actually got some mixed friendlies form. Um, in the last year, they've been beaten one nil away by Italy. They've also lost one nil to France and Russia. Uh, their best result was probably beating Belgium two one at home, which was un characteristically high-scoring game for the Portuguese. But they then followed that Belgium win with a 1-0 loss against Bulgaria. And of course, again, they lost to England last week with um, 10 men after Bruno Alves got, got sent off. So, a bit of a mixed team. Unlike a lot of teams in this competition, they're going to be one of the few that are playing 4-4-2 with uh, kind of recognised wingers. But they're not quite a one-man team. Obviously, they're very reliant on Ronaldo, but they do have some other decent players. Ronaldo scored five of their 11 goals um, in qualification, but in the middle, they've also got Jamutinho, very experienced player who's um, technically excellent, pulls the strings for Monaco now, but he's um, he played at, uh, in the Portuguese league for Benfica for many years. They've also got a guy called Andre Gomez, who came through at Valencia um, in the last couple of seasons, looks a pretty promising midfielder. 
But what they do have is they have a ridiculously old defence. So they've got Pepe, who's 33. They've got Kung Fu kicking Bruno Alves, 34. They've got Eliseu at left-back, 32. And the granddaddy of them all is, of course, Ricardo Carvalho, who astonishingly still gets a game at 38. So the he's youngest a canny, he's a canny player though, isn't he? The youngest member of their back four is thirty-two. So they're very organised, they're gonna be very canny. Ricardo Cavaglio was actually quite good against England despite his advanced years. So where, where is he playing these days? He plays for Monaco still. At the other end of the scale, age-wise, they've got um, a young player to watch out for, Renato Sanchez, who has just been signed by Bayern Munich for a fee of 35 million euros that could rise to as much as 80 million euros. He was one of the most promising European footballers uh, um, this season. Breakout star. Breakout star, who uh, is seen as a very strong, tough tackling and and hard-running midfielder, sort of in the Edgar Davids, maybe Patrick Vieira-type mould. Uh, there's also a guy called João Mario, who is a 23-year-old playmaker. He's had a very good season with Sporting Lisbon, seven goals, 12 assists, and uh, he's been linked with a lot of Europe's top clubs. Um, there's talk of an auction of up to, reaching up to £46 million between Chelsea and United, which is very good news for his agent, Kier Kurobchian. And overall, I think it seems that they're going to be quite a tidy side. We saw before Bruno Alves got sent off against England that they're a very good side at keeping the ball. Uh, so they've got a lot of sort of attacking midfielders who've been converted into forwards. Uh, Making room for Bebe on the flank then, I see. <laughs> but yeah, nobody puts Bebe in the corner. But So I think they probably will uh, win this group because the rest of the group is, is relatively weak. Uh, their only major challengers, I think, are Austria, and I think they've probably got more about them than Austria. But I fully expect them to to then get taken out by the first big team that they face. So whether that is Italy or Belgium, depending on who they they play as runner-up from Group E, if they do win this group, or even if they make it through that game, they might play England. And it it feels like England underperformed in the friendly against them, and still Portugal didn't really look like scoring. Of course, they did lose a man, so that changed the game somewhat. But I think uh, uh, an England playing anywhere near their potential beats this team relatively comfortably. I think Austria might pip them to the top spot. Yeah, could be interesting. 1-0. 1-0, yes. With an Alaba or Baumgartner 30-yard stunner. Excellent. All right, guys. So, you're getting excited now? We are days away from the tournament starting. It's a couple of days away now. Yeah. Excited about anything in particular? Will you be watching all the games? Yeah, I'm going to watch as many as I can. I'm, I'm hoping to uh, try and get my uh, five-year-old daughter into a few games as well. So it'll be a it'll be it'll be a good tournament, and, and obviously uh, a lot of it will depend on how how England do. I tend to not watch any games for about three days after England get knocked yeah. out. All right, brilliant. Well, guys, enjoy the, the games to come. Hope you've enjoyed listening to the previews. We will try and do some podcasts during the course of the tournament. If you would like to follow us, get on Twitter at InvertedWinger or you can email us, invertedwingers at gmail.com. And until next week, guys, it's goodbye from Zishan. A bientôt. Hey, what does that mean? See you soon. A bit of French for you. Okay, a bientôt. Okay, great. And Tom? Au revoir, mon chéri. Oh, I see. And... Goodbye from me. So goodbye, guys. Enjoy your football. Bye, guys.